Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everyone. It's episode 27 of FPL Black Box. I hope you're all having a nice Sunday. I'm joined with Mark. How are you, Mark? Good evening. I'm good. I'm enjoying the international break. I'm enjoying not thinking about FBL, but of course, I'm, what I'm doing during this time is thinking about FBL. Um, that's what I tend <laughs> to do. But yeah, it's, it's quite nice having a break. Are you watching the internationals at all? No, I'm not. I listened to England uh, San Marino on the radio. Uh, I completely avoided it tonight and it sounds like it was a rubbish match anyway. I'm just using it as a bit of time to recharge. It's been so relentless this season. It's quite nice to have a bit of a break. So yeah, I'm I'm firmly in the um, rest and recharge camp. Yeah, no, me too. I don't, I mean, the qualifiers, I don't watch them until England are either struggling or it's a big, big qualifier and I don't watch yeah. those. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite nice having a break and it's given us time to um, settle down and do a bit of a retrospective, which what this is what we'll do in tonight's episode. It's going to be a bit of a patchwork quilt. I think what I wanted to do in particular was seize upon all that talk of effective ownership because you were full of it on Twitter, weren't you, after that game? Like you and Luke were... <laughs> Basically, um, driving the uh, well. The, normally, there's beef on the on the community, mm. on the Twitter community, and it, and it looked like it was going to be you at the you were going to be the ringleader at one point. But it's calmed down a well, bit. I was now. very annoyed. Yeah, I was. I, I was very annoyed with people. Um, and yeah, I won't go into it now. But um, there's a lot of cowards out there. Oof. I learned from the community and. I don't like what? cowards. That's a big word. There you go. I'm wow. saying it. Okay. That's how I feel. Well, I'm glad you bought your, your game face for that because we're going <laughs> we're gonna to talk about effective ownership tonight. We're going to put the captaincy under some scrutiny. There was a lot of good threads about it um, over the over the break so far as well. And one thread in particular from FBL Swede, we're going to delve into those numbers. 
And not surprisingly, I've done a bit of homework. Um, I thought what I'd do is look at you. Yeah, you know, I thought I'd do a bit of do a bit of data study. Oh, first time for everything. I know. And um, so I thought I'd look at um, players who have got double figure scores this season. So those are obviously when we're making our captain picks. These are the players we're looking for double figures, right? You at least double figures. Um, So I thought I'd look at the players who have achieved that this season. How many there are? What positions they're in? And so I've got some data on that, which is quite interesting. And I've got some data on how our captain picks compare to the top 10Ks uh, kind of picks and how different we've been so far. Um, spoiler alert, we've not been very different at all. No, mm. no doesn't surprise me. You're going to be why, It's why though. Well, I, I'm, I am, but that's not, that's not my point that I'm trying to make. My point is that we should be trying to spot it's not about picking players for the sake of it every week and going against, you know, you, you have the premium players in your team for a reason because they're consistent and reliable. Mm. Um, and you don't get that many opportunities in a season to really go against them. And yeah, like, like we'll talk about when, it, when the opportunity arises, I think people should be looking to, to seize the opportunity rather than, than hiding behind them. Well, that's my thoughts. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to try and play devil's advocate or I'm going to argue with you all night. We'll see how that goes. But let, let's, let's start by looking back at our game week 29 because um, it seems such a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, it's almost hard to actually remember the, uh, the events yeah. of it. But what I do remember it's not for is, me. No, I know. <laughs> um, we'll, pick, we'll pick out your, your glories uh, in this game. But first of all, the scores in game week 29, we were expecting... I think an average was between 35 and 40. That's what I was mm. thinking. Um, obviously, we had the reduced fixtures, four matches. To get 77 points, and there were people who actually got more than you out of this game week, was extraordinary. I mean, the way it unfolded was quite crazy in that many of the players that we tipped and talked about on the previous show actually did come in, including one in particular. So anyway, talk us for your team, Maz. <laughs> Go on, 77 points. Yeah, so it's taken 28 weeks, but I finally had a good week. Uh, you know, forget about all the rest. It's all about it's all about your latest game week, isn't it? So let's go with that. Yeah, Martinez in goal, one point. Uh, target, zero points. So obviously the Villa Clinch didn't pay off. Dallas, two. Um, but then just good scores everywhere. Dunk coming in with six. Uh, Odegaard with two. Really unlucky, I thought, not to get more from him because I thought yeah. he had an absolute stormer of a, of a second half, particularly. Uh, Lookman, I've held on to him for ages, got an assist, could have had a couple more as well. Really threatening, I thought, throughout. Uh, Fulham will be gutted not to have picked up some points from that from that Leeds game. Rafina came in, Bamford came in, Kane came in, Antonio came in. But who came in the most? My old boy, Leandro Trossard. I was wearing my Trossard top. I had him in goal scorer challenge. I capped him on FPL. I put every egg I had into the Trossard basket. And... It came in beautifully. So what can you say? Lovely, lovely week. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about him a lot the week before. You were, he wasn't, it was funny because you were, you weren't absolutely 100% on it. You were umming and ahhing about it, but mm. you actually went with it. And, and, and it's paid off massively. And as we'll see later on tonight, it's one of the few captain punts that we've made between us. Um, and probably the only one that when we've made one has come in. Only owned by, I think, 1% of the top 10K. Mm. The crazy ownership. And, I mean, you picked it out in the Southampton game where he scored there. You picked out, you know, his positioning and the fact that he looked much more comfortable, much more influential. And it happened again against Newcastle, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, I was 
I got asked a lot of questions about Brighton like leading up to the week and my answer to everyone was Trossard like we talked about on, on Black Box and mm. Duncan Trossard were the ones to me that, that really stood out I know Veltman got the assist I mean that was surprising because he got moved over to yeah. left centre back that was annoying when I saw he was there I thought oh that's okay then going dunk was yeah. probably the right call and then he got the assist what are the chances I know. yeah I know so that, that was a funny one fair play to anyone that got him in but yeah I was convinced on Trossard and Duncan. my only my only reservation was just how kind of many Brian would get. And like we mm. talked about, we, we thought it might be a, a, a kind of a, a cagey affair. I was hoping it wouldn't be, but I was kind of trying to set my own expectations. And just as the week went on, I just, I got just a bit more confident with, with Brighton. And I just thought more and more that out of all the fixtures on offer, that was the standout one um, that had the potential. So even if it, you know, it could have been a cagey one, but also I thought it had the potential to be the, you know, a bit more of a, of a bloodbath for, for Brighton. That's exactly how it turned out because Brighton were just absolutely brilliant. Uh, and Newcastle, I think they're in huge, huge trouble. So sometimes, you know, just, and, and you've, you've talked about it before with captains and Severt last season and, and, you know, really going for the, the fixture with the captaincy. And I just couldn't see anything about Kane that I particularly liked. I know he got the goal. I'm not going to say too much about the goal he got. I can't believe that was, <laughs> that was a penalty. He didn't deserve anything. I didn't think from that match. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the thing when you go for a differential captain, you're not just backing on that captain delivering, you're also backing on the player who everyone's going for failing as well. So, you know, it wasn't a huge amount of difference in, in terms of, it was about seven, was it seven points between mm. Trossard and Kane in the end? Yeah. Um, but obviously with Trossard's differential as well, then you get the points you would have got anyway. So yeah, I mean, captain wise, it's only seven points more than Kane, but bringing him in was was a good chance. So yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And everything came in for Brighton. Yeah, Welbeck scoring, Mope scoring as well. Um, it was almost like the performances and displays and the statistics that you've been racking up in the weeks previously mm. all came to fruition against Newcastle, uh, and the strikers delivered as well. So yeah, it was perfect storm for Brighton. Clean sheet as well. So I mean, I mean, what we should say here is the three hit managers. Had a field day, really, because if, yep. if they went in with two or even three Brighton defenders, they obviously were quids in there. If obviously they went in Trossard. I mean, Trossard was, it's funny, when I look back at the free hit team that we had, Trossard was in the B team. So he wasn't, he was kind of on the fringes and you were trying to get him in for Lookman. I think you said that you would mm. put him in for the, so he was very close to being in that first 11. Um, and I, I look at that and think, I think the score that got was only three points more than my eventual score. So actually, I was quite happy with the with the 59 that I got because when I picked the free hit team, it got just 62. So mm. probably the free hit team that I'd have gone for wouldn't have beaten this by very much anyway. Because Lingard, mate, Lingard coming in. We, I know. Our big calls, know. Lingard and Trossard last week. Yeah, we've got to bask in these because they're... <laughs> don't know what well, that often. Lingard, I, I, as I said before the show, that I had a bit of a run in on Twitter and I was trying to justify him being picked. I think XG is the problem with him. He's like Son. He doesn't score goals with, um, with high XG. Right? He scores spectacular goals from outside the box. And so the, the feeling is that, oh, well, he can't keep that up. But he did it again. Brilliantly taken goal again. Yeah. He's, he's, he, is the, he is a scorer of good goals. He's not, he's not a tapping merchant. Yes, Lingard, I, I thought he'd get something. I mean, the, the, in my defence, I thought that Kane and Lingard would get something apiece. But I didn't see West Ham scoring three goals against Arsenal. Mm. Um, I think I backed, I think I did back a 2-1 win for West Ham and a 2-1 win. And a 2-0 for Spurs, did I? Or maybe I went one I did. I just felt that... We both of, had a draw, I think, for Spurs. Right, of the both two... 
I thought Kane was the more likely to get a return. And I did think if Lingard got a return, he would get a few points more. Obviously, he's a midfielder. Um, so it's very tight, but I just went with Kane. And of course, the effective ownership did play into that equation. I think I was on, um, well, don't think I was on the Wolf Pod with, with Andy. And mm. uh, really enjoyed that. And I talked a bit about this, about how I use effective ownership. Um, and I know you hate the idea of using it at all, but in this decision, going Kane over Lingard, I wouldn't have said, I don't think it's fair to say effective ownership was the, dis- well, I guess it was a deciding factor, but it wasn't the most, wasn't the biggest factor in my decision. The biggest factor in my decision was I thought that Kane would return. I, I did think that. I think I thought Spurs would win the game or get something from the game and he would, he was most likely to score because Son wasn't playing. Bale, we were kind of shaky on because he had that bad EF, um, European tie. And we, we were right. He didn't play, did he? I mean, you, I think you said that you wouldn't be surprised that he didn't start. Well, you've got to get him in. Yeah, I know. I talk I think, you out of it. I think if I had a free hit, I think I probably would have ended up getting him in. Mm. Um, it was either him or Bamiang, and he didn't do anything anyway. So, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just felt that Kane would get something and he was more like the, the floor for him was lower, but he was much more likely to get something than Lingard. I thought, I thought there was, there might've been something in, in an assist in it for Lingard maybe, but I just didn't think West Ham, that free all game was Arsenal. No one saw that coming. Like many of the games, mm. I just thought there'd be quite a drought for goals, but as it turned out, the point, there were goals and points plenty. So yeah, the effective ownership on Kane did play a part in that it swayed me towards him. But there's, there's, two argu- there's two arguments there, right? with, didn't you? Go yeah, on, yeah, I mean, there's two, there's two arguments there, right? Yeah. The first one is you went for Kane because you thought he'd get something, right? And you mm. thought about his floor being low and, you know, he gets on the penalties and the free kicks, mm. all of that stuff. I've got no problem with that. I've got no people that pick Kane because they were looking at their team and seeing like the likes of Trossard and Lingard and, and these types of players are not being fully convinced on them. So anyone mm. saying that I'm saying this with hindsight is, is wrong because that isn't the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that there was a lot of stuff about Kane, I thought, this week that um, went against him. So the Europe, the, the two defeats against Arsenal and, um, and, and in Europe, uh, no Son, making them a worse mm. team overall, mm. uh, you know, all, all of these factors. And that was why I didn't really see him in that, you know, in that kind of top level bracket this week for captain. I thought, you know, there's at least op- other options I could consider. Now... There's people on Twitter who said that they, they literally, they felt that way too, but they didn't pick him because they were worried about a potential haul affecting their rank. And I just, I can't, I just can't oh, understand they did, that they way. Did, they did pick him. Well, yeah, they picked him because mm. they were worried that if they didn't pick him, they'd, they'd have massive rank like losses. And I, I just think that is such a, such a, 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 a like a, a boring and cowardly way I would say cowards again because this game if you're ever going to reach the top echelons of the game and this is the point that Luke was making if, if you if you want to be hit coming going into the top 100 200 you've got to back yourself right and you've got to back your decisions what is the point of watching all this football looking at all these stats watching these games and like understanding these players and like the fundamentals of players mm. you know we're a, we're a small community we spend a hell of a lot of time on this game and like making a decision just because you're worried about what other people are doing, it just absolutely baffles me because it's all about trying to find an advantage. 
And when I think about all the best moments I've had in FPL over the years, all of those best moments have been trying to find advantages that other people aren't doing. And this isn't saying like just getting Trossard and, and captain him every week or getting a 0% ownership and don't look at the premiums, all that kind of stuff, because that's rubbish. I know that you have to have those players in because they're consistent and reliable. But at the same time, if, you've, if you see there's an opportunity to, to, to do something different to other people, I think effective ownership is useful to say, well, everyone's going to be flocking to Kane. I'm not convinced on it and I'm going to roll the dice on something else. It's a calculated gamble. And I was just really annoyed that so many people admitted that they only went for Kane because of his ownership. Just, it just really saddened me. Yeah, but I, I wonder whether how many of those people are kind of in a similar camp to me in that it wasn't the be and all end all behind the decision. But I mean, because at the end of the day, Kane is probably at the moment the most reliable heavy hitter there is. I would say, because Salah's not in the equation. Fernandez, I guess. Right? Him and Fernandez, if you're going to back a heavy hitter to get you points in any game week, it'll be Kane or Fernandez at the moment. Right? So I think that's, it takes a lot to, to get that out of your head, to, to reprogram that thinking. So when you always look at Kane in any fixture, you always think, oh, he's probably going to get a goal. He'll find a way of getting something, won't he? And I think that, that was more prominent in people's heads than they're admitting. I think it's, I think too, if you did see people go, no, it was down to effective ownership and that was what did it. I, I think that was only half it's the, the fear, story. It's the fear of a haul. Because I think you mm. talk about Kane as a reliable option. I mean, you take away that 19 points he got against Palace. Oh, yeah. His yeah. returns have been fairly unspectacular mm. for, for a while now. I mean, he's had, again, take away that, that, that game. He's well, had I can one tell double you how many double return. figure returns he's got but, later but, on, but yeah, but yeah, no, I get your point. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, he's, you know, he's, he seems, you know, Spurs aren't a team that they were early in the season. They're mm. not scoring kind of bucket load of goals. Um, so I can understand it from a kind of a, a safety point of view. And, and someone's mentioned in the chat, the EO game is for those who want consistent ranks. It's not for maximizing your score. And we've talked about captaincy before. Captaincy is a tricky one to get right. And I'll tell you what, I listened to your, um, your chat with Mode on, on the Wolfpack pod. And I actually really liked something that Mode said, mm. which really struck me, um, which was talking about different strategies um, and how lots of people only take a snapshot of a strategy and, and put that in effect. So a good example of that is, um, you know, you, you, t- you go for a differential captain one week, it doesn't pay off. And then you think, oh, okay, well, it'll never pay off again. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I've been guilty of that because the times when I've rolled the dice, which are rare, like I rarely go for a non-premium asset. I'm not, I'm not saying that I do. And, and you, you've got the stats. I'm not going to try it because I know you've got the stats to say, to say that I don't. Um, but when I do, it, it doesn't always tend to go, to go that well. Like I've captained Lingard before. I've captained Richarlison before. Um, you know, when they've been like 6 million, 7 million players. And it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to predict a return. But that doesn't mean that that strategy is not the one to do in certain situations just because you've got examples of it not working for you. Um, so yeah, I just think each week needs to be judged kind of separately from the other. And I, and I, I just think there was, there was a lot of reason to, to try to, to go for it, to go for it this week. And it didn't, and it's not about the, the results. It's not about the points. It's not about the outcome at all. It's just purely about the decision-making. And I was just surprised that his EO in the FPL community, bearing in mind we've all got all this knowledge and research and stuff, ended up coming down. I think, I think, and I think it did to a, to a large amount of fit. I just found it really surprising. Well, my problem with the whole discussion that came after the game week was it followed 
a game week where there was only four fixtures. So that inflated Kane's EO in the first place, right? Definitely. Um, and my take on it was also that, yeah, I thought Kane would get something. And to not go Kane, you've got to be convinced quite strongly in an alternative, I think. I think I'm all for taking punts with the captaincy. I've done it a few times this season. I did it right at the end of last season. I went Pulisic in game week 38 because I thought, well, let's roll the dice. I might as well try and finish in the top 100k. And, and I ended up dropping about 40,000 in that final week. So I went Pulisic and he blanked, I think. So I, I like doing it, but you've got to feel right. You've got to feel that it's the right decision for you. And, and that's the most important thing for me, right? Regardless of what factors feed into the decision, when, you've, when you're making a decision, you've got to go, I'm happy with that. I'm happy to mm. own that decision. If it goes wrong, I'm not going to look outside and go, I blame that opinion. I blame that feed. I blame that podcast. I blame that status on Twitter. None of that. If it goes wrong, I take the blame because I own it, right? So in this game week, you have to be totally happy with Captain Inchossar, who is a player who plays for a team who, let's face it, have disappointed when they've looked good in matches. And Lingard, who some people don't, I mean, I had faith in him, but some people didn't. So I don't know if the alternatives were strong enough to turn much of that 176% ownership that he had, effective ownership that Kane had around. So I think it was a, it's a very difficult game week to judge uh, FPL managers in, I think. It's a, it's a microcosm of a normal game week, isn't it? I, I completely agree. If you look at it from, from the results perspective and, and all that argument, I, I get it. It was the, it was the kind of, it, you talk about owning the decision. Effective ownership gives you a way to, to blame it. That's what I don't like about it. It gives, it gives people a way to not take ownership of their decisions because they can say, well, I, was, I just did it because he was highly owned and I knew everyone else was going to go for it. It completely takes away your own decision-making, your own strategy, because you're just following what other people are doing. That's what I don't like about it. Um, and, that, and, that's what, and that's what kind of, that's what, that's what kind of annoyed me a bit. I mean, there's, there's people in the chat saying that if, if I was top 10K, I would have I made a different decision. And I, I don't, that's not true. Like, that's, not how, that's not how I play the game. That's not how I want to play the game. I want to play the game by making my own decisions. Where you are in the rankings, I mean, it, it, it differs for different people, doesn't it? I mean, some people would take, a top 50k finish every year, you know, and not push on for the top 1k or whatever. I mean, when I was in the top 1k, I was pushing for the top 100 because you always want to go higher. I always want to go higher. If I'm in the top 10k at this stage, I don't want to sell for the top 10k. I want to go into the top 1k, you know, it's, and what's interesting, the discussions we've had over WhatsApp is this kind of psychological element to it. Mm. Cause you, you talk about, um, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned us about momentum. Yeah. You're talking about momentum going into a week. Do you want to mm. say a, a bit about that before? Yeah, I well, it, 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 is a, it, is a, <laughs> it is a thing in the, and it's a thing in poker as well, where you can have a downswing or you can have momentum going your way in, in a positive way. And it breeds confidence. It breeds confidence in your decision making. And I think when I come off the back of three or four green arrows, I put more faith in a, riskier decision. So if I can see game weeks to come, the opportunity to take some risks. If I go into those game weeks with momentum, as in I've got two or three green hours in a row, I think I'm more likely to take those risks. If I go into some potential game, and I'll show you later on, there's some risks, potential punts coming up. If I'm going into them off the back of a couple of red arrows, I'm more likely 
to be more conservative, I think, because I lose confidence in my decision making process. It's a natural thing. Human psychology, if you're feeling positive, you're going to be a bit more confident and you feel stronger and you feel like, okay, I'm going to go for this. If you're feeling negative because you've had some bad experiences, that could be bad luck, or it could be that you're going, I've actually made a couple of bad decisions. You're going to be more, you're going to maybe make decisions which are a bit more kind of safer and a bit more kind of, you think, more logical. Now, that is, I think, just human. So, as I say, it is a thing in poker, the same kind of thing, in that it's not a good thing necessarily because you're bringing emotion into it. And, and when, you're, when you're up and you've got positive um, momentum, sometimes you're making mistakes and getting away with it. It's worse when you've got negative momentum in poker, obviously, because then you start, you know, not taking but any risks and playing mean, well. The, 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 the poker analogy is good, but mm. the argument would be, and I think this applies with this, considering this is FPL black box and we're supposed to look mm. at this kind of decision making, that's faulty decision making in poker, right? The cards and, the, and the, 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 the logic and the when you should bet and how much you should bet isn't dictated by momentum. No, it doesn't and change. No, no, no I your, agree. your decision making, it doesn't matter if you're feeling confident or not. It doesn't matter. That doesn't determine how many points Salah's going to get or how many points Kane's get. So really, if you're, it, there's two ways of looking at it. One way is this game's about, this game's fun, right? We're not playing it for money. It's not like we're in the World Series of Poker. We're not playing for millions of pounds. Good there's job. less of a, there's, yeah, there's less of a risk. Unless you're playing Sky and you're playing for 250k or Well, let, unless you're Fergie, who's top of the sun. Dream team. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, then, then, then you've probably got a. I, you've got a, I wouldn't be sleeping if I was but, him. But yeah, but like the, the the psychology thing. I mean, it's 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 important to kind of know that you're doing that. But also, is it the right way of playing? If you've got these, regardless of whether you're feeling confident or not, you've got the same information available to you. You've got the same stats. We're going to be talking the same way. We've got all going. We're going to be making these things. It's interesting that di- that decisions can change just depending on how well things have gone in the past. And is that necessarily the, the smartest way for us to play this game if we're trying to get better at it? Shouldn't that kind of psychology, shouldn't we be looking to tame that psychology a bit more? Mm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not denying that. I, I think the first step to doing that, though, is recognising that it's a thing. Because, you know, you, I, I know that I feel more confident after a series of green arrows than I do after a series of red arrows. Right? And, and I pointed to the fact that, you know, I heard General on his podcast after, I think, three or four red arrows say he needs to steady the ship. And you you hear things like like that, and you you know you just think, well, that surely translates to the fact that when you're making decisions now, you're not going to go with something which you perceive as a riskier decision. You'll probably come down a bit with your the risk taking, I presume, right? And because I would, that's how I would read it as well. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I would ever acknowledge that I'm steady in the ship, but I think I would probably make some decisions that are a bit more contained. And I I'm aware of that, and I know it's not a good thing. I know it's not. It's I know the what illusion. You're I know it's what you're the saying. illusion that we're in control. It's, mm. it's you know we're playing yeah. a game. Poker, you've got you've got some sense of control. You can control the the bets you make. You can control you know you can try and psych people out. You can do some stuff. You can't do any of that in in FPL. You're working with with information that's that's completely outside of your control. So talking about steadying the ship is nonsense. I think, uh, and I don't I don't agree with General's opinion of that. Um, I think what the, the point Luke was trying to make is, and, and, and what I agree with is that talking about setting the ship, talking about getting a good rank and stuff, that is where the FPL community has shifted now a lot to what, what, when, when, when I started playing, um, it was fun and people back themselves more than they do now. And this is the argument that we were having. And this is why it's, it's not just about the week that's just gone. People would be happier now with a, with a 10K 
finish, rather than pushing on for the 1K, I think, generally, or to finish in the top 1K, to the point in which when people do things differently, when they back alternative captains, when they bring in players who don't fit the kind of template, there is so much more abuse that they get on the forum, on Twitter, people saying they're idiots, people saying they're going to fail, people saying what you're doing, rather than being more supportive, not supportive in the way of saying, oh, that's really great. Good for you. You're being really brave. But in the sense that I really like the way this guy's playing, he's going for it, you know, and that kind of safety is all over Twitter and all over Scout. This, this kind of idea that we have to play safe and sensible so we can get a decent finish rank history is so important where you finish every season whereas the people who finish you know quite low down in the rankings like like luke's a great example luke is a is a manager an fpl manager who i respect a lot his opinions have a massive like sway for me because i like the way he plays the game i don't care where he finishes he can finish bottom million every year because i think he's got probably the best chance of winning it out of anyone I know on Twitter. Because if he gets those decisions right, he's going to be world number one one day. And it's just waiting for that to happen. So yeah, that, that's, that's my point. I just think there's different ways of playing the game and just where you finish every year, playing safe, that, that's fine if you want to do it that way, but not everyone does. Yeah, but that, that's so, what you're presuming there, that, uh, that a risk-taking strategy and uh, one that is overwhelmingly a risk-taking strategy, which is what Luke does, is the perfect formula to win it. And I don't think it is. It's a balance. Really? Of, no, it's a balance of two. It's got to be. I think the way to play it is you've got to choose, pick your battles. There'll be weeks where, you know, if I, if I say I was in, I'm 5K now, say I was 500 in the world, right? I think 500 in the world, I can win it, right, from there. But to win it from there over the last nine game weeks, that wouldn't be me taking a risk in every game week. I wouldn't do that. I would look ahead to those nine game weeks and I go, where can I see the majority of the players above me going one way so I can go another? And I'd identify the weeks where I should take a risk and the weeks where I should just follow. If, because it depends. I'd look ahead and go, how, where are the captains of those nine game weeks? And I would look where I'm most confident about taking a punt. I wouldn't go punt, 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 punt in every single one. But how, how often, so I would say in terms of like that strategy and in terms of like the best managers around, I'd say Simon March is the exception because he is good at FPL. He's mm-hmm. won it and he's continued to do well since. Yeah. But how often do we see someone in the FPL community who hasn't joined this season that doing well come in the top 10 or top 20? Well, you mean like playing, a play, Playing that way. The people who consistently come first or around the top 10 are the people that have finished millions in the world, don't know what they're doing and just get loads and loads of luck. But they don't, they don't go template. They get the players in before they go template because that's the only way you're going to get ahead. If you just pick the same players as everyone else, you're not going to be first in the world. They get in players before. And whether that is done through a calculated, I've identified this player, I'm bringing him in, which I don't think it is a lot of the time, but they have. And, and a good example of that is this season. The, the people who are in the top 10 had Kane and Son early doors they mm. weren't put off by that Everton loss they kept them they rode that out points galore that isn't that isn't playing sensibly and reliably and stuff that's that is getting a hell of a lot of luck and also doing things differently to the crowd I would argue yeah at times they have to do that I totally agree with that but I don't think it's 100% one strategy I, I don't buy this like because um, late riser says you've got to have you've got to have your style and stick to it 
I don't necessarily think that's true, right? Because his style is one way, upside chasing. He's been successful in some seasons, right? No doubt about that. Look at his ranks, incredible ranks, right? But other seasons, that's not going to work necessarily. It depends on what the season gives you. I think you've got to play what's in front of you, right? And you've got to adapt your strategy to what you've got. There have been seasons like the Mares Vardy season, which is like a complete freak, like the Kane season. Um, and so I just think you've got to adapt. I don't think you can go... Right, this is how I'm going to play forever as an FPL manager. No, I, I'm. Hey, I, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not saying that you. You need to play anyway. You, you obviously, well, firstly, you can play whatever way, whatever way you want. I, I don't care. Um, secondly, your your goals are, are different. Some people want want to finish consistently well each year. I mean, look at look at Joe. I mean, Joe has never finished outside the top hundred k. No. I mean, I look at that record and I think that's absolutely like incredible, and a lot of people would kill for that. But he hasn't really challenged for like the. You know, the, I don't think he's ever been in the top K, or maybe he's been once. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I, I think there's a, there's much of a chance of someone playing like us doing doing that way to get into the top one K as there is someone going absolutely wild and and, and taking punts and just and just getting. And yeah, just getting I, I, I'm not saying that a risky strategy can't win it. I'm just saying that I don't think you can commit to one strategy or another and go. Well, that's what no. I'm. St- I think you've got. My point is. I, I, the way I play, I look at the season and I go, where can I take my risks? I, I like to take risks. I want to play like that. But there are some weeks, and I don't know what it is, and maybe this is my downfall, maybe this is why I'll never win it, is that I, I like to pick my battles, that's all. And, and in a game week where I only had seven players, that wasn't a week I felt confident in picking, picking either Lingard or Rafina. I didn't, wasn't convinced enough by those two players. I didn't have Trossard. So I couldn't get him in, so you know I wasn't going to spend another four points. So that wasn't an option for me. So it was either Lingard or Rafinha. I looked at those two. I was like, yeah, they could definitely get something, but Kane, I think, is more certain to get something. I'll go with Kane. And then I, I looked at the ownership, I, and it was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's- I, I don't, I don't have it. I, I, apart from the ownership bit, the first bit, I, I, I don't have any problem with. What I do have a problem with is that when you go on Twitter and you post your team, and someone's saying Trossard, that was really ridiculous, or. You're an idiot for well, Cat Andy. Not just Andy me. did that. Andy, did you see Andy's <laughs> post about? Oh, FBL. I think yeah, as has been hacked. hacked. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I don't kill it. I'm not. I'm not sensitive. It's not no, like it's I'm funny. sitting there going, "Oh no." But, but it's, of course, it's funny. But at the same time, it, I think it, it is that kind of mentality. I think people are are a little bit worried about going outside of kind of the general herd um, because they get slated. And what is also annoying is when when you do go outside the herd and it doesn't pay off. And then you get people on Twitter going, oh, look at this pic. You know, this is all driven by FPL Twitter and look how rubbish it is. And it's like when it does pay off, it's suddenly a great decision. And when it doesn't, there's, there's a lot of outcome bias that, that, that goes on. And that isn't the kind of the discussion that I want. The discussion I want is, is, is much more about strategy and much more about the way you play. And I think there's, there's different ways of, there's obviously different ways of playing. But I, I, fe- I felt a lot of pressure, I think, particularly this season to like do things the same way as everyone else. Like going for Mara's over De Bruyne was a perfect example. I got absolutely slammed for that. It didn't pay off. I can't sit here and claim that was a great decision because it, it obviously wasn't. But I felt it was. And if it had paid off, then I would be a hell of a lot higher in the ranks than I am now. I'd probably be kind of about where you are. I and mean, that would have been two completely different different ways of playing. Yeah, and to be fair, with Mara's, you just, it's, it's right time, right place. He's, you know he's going to have good game weeks. Yeah, of course. It is. Yeah, of course. And you just yeah. didn't hit them. So what is just, it, it is 
one of those players where it's, it is purely down to luck because the outcome you get with Mahrez is just so varied, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's not. He's the old, he, he is the kind of post boy for this um, mm. this approach and also the stress that it can bring. He is, and he could <laughs> yet be over the final nine game weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I do think, I agree with you, I think there's something in this content creator Twitter thing where you start to see people shying away from riskier picks because they're worried about the reaction that it gets. Exactly. And, and I've and only been in Twitter. Me, that I've makes only, me sad. And I've, I've only been in Twitter a year properly. And even I can acknowledge that I think that is a thing. I don't think it's a thing that's getting to me yet. I'd like to, maybe it has though. I don't know. But I've got to look at this because this is my first year where I've been fully engaged with Twitter and I'm having a, a good season. So you know, on the face of it, it's not affected me. But when I look back at my season, and perhaps some decisions like this one where I could have gone Lingard and got up further in the ranks. Maybe it has played on my mind. But also, as this is the thing, perfectly valid strategies or decisions don't pay off. And then people are, are doing what Mode said and, and taking that as a snapshot and then yeah. not, not doing it again and thinking, well, if it didn't work this time, it's not going to work well, that- next time. And again, it's, it's that kind of psychology. EO, this is the problem I find with EO. And it's a problem I find with, with Twitter and all that stuff is it feeds into this kind of negative psychology where you doubt your own decisions off the back of something. And that is, that is a way I never want to play FPL. I never want to doubt my own ability to make decisions based on what I think is, is the, the advantage and the stats. Because otherwise I'll just play the same as everyone else and there's no point in playing. I might yeah, well just you, copy you, Andy's You have to week. acknowledge that it's part of psychology. If, you, if, you, if you're doing badly, I mean, Luke does push back against this he is resistant to it which is why you know like i agree with you he, he could one day win it right he's done very well in sky he doesn't worry about how bad he's doing he'll carry on playing the same way but it is quite hard to do that and and, and i think if you're in the public eye and if you're if you think that your rank matters to your status in the community and i think that is the case that that has what has that's what's happened right we've created this yeah bubble where actually your rank does kind of matter right and so it is. It must play on people's minds, right? It probably does play on my mind. I think you know it will take a few more seasons once I'm now in this Twitter community to just just figure out how much it plays on my mind. But I think it is a thing, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't play on my mind. I mean, you know, I've I've struggled. This is the third season in a row where I've been around this rank at this time, and it is stressful because you don't want to finish with it with a rough yeah. rank. And I, you know, I, I said about General earlier, and, and I think you know something that's really, really impressed me with General was when he did have that bad season and he was doing all this content and stuff, he used that as a way to be like, right, I don't want that to happen again. It didn't get him down. It didn't, like, no one remembers it now. No one remembers General's... He's the only one who brings it up. Yeah, exactly. He's the one that mentions it because he uses it as a Mm. way to acknowledge this can happen because this game is out of our control. And, and, you know, he's still, he's one of the best managers around. You can see by his ranks. Um... Yeah, it's 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 interesting the kind of the the world that's that's been created around around the rankings and 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 what that but means I to mean, people. Put, put yourself in my I, shoes, I get it. right? When I did the FBL show, oh, you know, I, I was know. there every week, and luckily in the first year I did it, I did brilliantly. Second year, not so well, but okay. I think seventeen k or something. But imagine I'd have done that FBL show, gone on there, they introduced me as an expert, and I finished four million in the world. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was in my head. I was like, my God, the pressure on me that I've got to do well. And I pulled it off, luckily, but that could have well, gone the, really the, badly. The, the expert thing's really interesting because the, the expert thing isn't created by us. It isn't <laughs> created by the content creators. It's not like 
Andy isn't going around calling himself an expert. You never call yourself an expert. It's a, you've got to remember, it's a kind of a marketing thing, right? Yeah. They want, they want to sell you as a person. Why should we listen to this person? Expert is a nice, easy yeah, word. Why have to we make, got him on? Oh, he's an expert. He's an, he's an expert. Of course it is. I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, we're, we're experts in the sense that we do a lot of research and we do a lot of stats building and we might have had some good finishes and we kind of know what we're doing. We're not self-proclaimed the best managers around. And I think that kind of status, I mean, you see it in the, in the community all the time, don't you? You see so many trolls coming up being like, oh, these bloody experts, same thing, they're all so great. They're so elitist. Well, we're not elite. We're just, we're just blokes who like playing fantasy football. Like there's no, there's like, I know pretty much all the content creators out there and none of them have big egos like at all. Like they're just, they're, that's not what they're about. They just like FPL and they want to produce stuff to to, you know, to, to inform people and his entertainment and, and, and things. And the entertainment factor is, is important because people, if you, if you don't have a good rank, then people do jump on your case. And you, we saw it with David, when David joined Scout and he didn't have very good ranks and he was on Scout and people said, why should we listen to this guy with his best ranks, 200k and all this? It, you know, people want, uh, it, it, for the majority of people on Twitter want different things. They want you to be entertaining, they want you to be an expert, but they don't want you to call yourself an expert, but it's, it's tricky. But they want you it's to have good history. history. It is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. when you put yourself out there in the public eye, you, have, you take that on though, don't you? You go, well, I'm going to have to deal with that. Of course you know, you do. If I have yeah, a bad absolutely. season, I've got to take it on the chin. Um, yeah. It's part of part of putting yourself out there, I guess, and, and putting yourself, but I mean, we had it on here, I think. Week five, we were both 2.34 million or something. And we had some people in the chat going, you know, so we had to just accept it and go, look, give us some time. And, and be, by, by the way, rank isn't everything anyway. We're doing this because we enjoy doing it. And hopefully we can entertain and inform. But one bad season. Start, didn't we? If, we, if, we have, if we have bad seasons, it, it's good because we can analyse it in more detail and, and look well, back. That, and that was a get out, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, brilliant. Let's chat more as the show goes on. But that was a very good first chat. I hope people enjoyed that. And um, yeah, it's good. Let's look at um, let's look at our season in a bit of detail. We have got um, we have got a visualization expert oh, on the that, team. Look now. at that. Yeah, Mr. Tim Bayer at Tim Bayer ninety three is his Twitter account. Absolutely um, lovely. I saw his charts on on Twitter because he actually. Do you remember my salad chart, my little bar chart I did in Excel? Oh, it was lovely. It was lovely. And he and he and he politely just put, if you want any help with visualizations, by all means drop me a line. I don't did know he why. Also he also say that. this should have been a line chart, not a bar chart. He did uh, yeah, mate, I think someone did. <laughs> someone um, did anyway, so I dropped him a line and said, Yeah, I'll tell you what, if you want to do some charts for us now and again, that'd be lovely. And he said he'd love it. So Tim Bayer, um, follow him. He does some great stuff. Um, in FBL, he hasn't done too much this season, but he's going to be because he's going to be doing these things for us from now on and hopefully next season as well. So this is a chart of our season so far that Tim's knocked up with our, with our data. Um, and it shows, um, it basically shows how our seasons have panned out. And, you know, 223 and 5K in the world, that's a far cry from 2.4 million or wherever we were in game maybe five or six. So we've done pretty well to recover. And what's interesting for both of these is we both had a couple of really good spells that made all the difference. For you, it was from game week 23 to 29. And it included that 3K game week with your triple captain. I think it was Bamford. Mm. And in that game week, not only Bamford came in, he had eight points, but you only had two players blank. Yeah, Rashford as well. Came yeah. That week. So that really made a difference to your season. But you actually have been very consistent. If you look at your the yellow line that we're showing on the chart, you haven't had many bad game weeks. They all came at the start of the season. 
once you got to like game week 12, you've just steadily climbed. Yeah. This is, this is what I said. It's much, it's much, it's a much better place to be holding rank when you're top hundred K, mm. you know? And so it, 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 bearing in mind, treading water isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you're treading water around a decent rank, when you're treading water around the million mark, like I was for ages, it's incredibly depressing. And that's when I think people do look to force transfers and they look to force captains and things, and they go against sense and logic and try and get that big haul and that can end up making it worse. So that's how I kind of look at it. I was just trying to wait for the right moment and I was trying little things and they weren't quite working, but it was being balanced out by kind of other good, good things. But yeah, recently it started just to- Well, that's to what I said to you. That's what I, that's what I think we, a is a good strategy. You wait for that moment. Like it's about, yep. you can't look at every game and go, I'm going to attack this, go for it, risk it. I don't think that's the right strategy. No. I think the right strategy is to go, there's a game week coming up that I'm going to take a risk on, but it's not this one. That's how I play. And I look. That's how I, that's how I play as well. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, oh, it's not. That's, that's no my good, point, though. That mm. My point. My point is that like, I could. You know, if you don't play that way, if you do, if for the people that do look at Kane and think he's 180 percent owned, I'm going to back against him anyway. I don't mm. care that he's playing Crystal Palace at home. You know, and he's just called back to back hat tricks. Like I don't care about that. I can see his EO's massively high, and I'm going against it because if he does blank, I'm going to get a bigger rank gain than than anyone else. You know, I'm banking on that that happening. It's not how I want to play it, but to me, that's just as that's just as decent as a way of playing than someone who looks EO and says, "I'm going to back Kane just because he's 180 owned, even if he's hasn't played in Europe. He's played in Europe. He's you know off form. He's no son. All that kind of stuff. It's it's not using decision. Neither of them are using decision making. They're both just doing something for the sake of it, right? And that's that's the thing I have a problem with our approach. It feels like we're in control and we're making decisions based on evidence and stats. Doesn't mean it's the only way to play, and I, I respect that people can go either way. But that's that's what works for us. So I think it is very interesting what you said about EO being a way of having some factor to blame and when it goes wrong, like having something that makes up your mind for you. Exactly. Because when you have that, and and it, it, I mean the 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 I've read a book on poker, and the analogy is if you if you if you're if you say you're drunk, then it doesn't matter if it's it's like if you if you drink before you play poker, you can always. Blame the booze if you had a bad night. And mm. it's a very easy thing to do. And, and, and EO can be that. It's like, well, if I make my decision based on EO, I've got something to blame if it all goes Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, I'm not besmirched in any way. It's not a, a, a judgment on my decision making because I made my decision because of that. Um, and it, yeah, it, it can be a cop out. I don't know if players do play like that. I mean, you're saying you see people come they out. They do. Really? They, yeah, they do. And, and I, I mean, I posted that poll. And that was people talking about, you know, you, you talked about that on the, on the pod, three, three options, um, using effective ownership to play safe, to go against the grain or just discarding it. 50% of people admit that they use EO to play the game in a safer way. But again, so they right, are, you made that poll in the week after this game week. And I think that was a, that's why it could be, do it again in a few more weeks and see. I will. I will do it. I, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've, got, you've got to strike when the iron's hot, though, right? You've got to talk about, you've got to bring these issues up in a week like this. There's no, no point in talking a, a decision about EO in a week where Salah's banged a hat trick and he's 180, 180% owned. No one's going to be like, well, obviously, you know, you've got, to, you've got to balance it out a little bit. You know, this is, there's been other opportunities to do it this season, but this is, this is the peak week to do it because I, it's I, yeah, invited a conversation and there was context yeah, behind there was, it. There was. And I think we just need to keep it going. I think it's a really interesting topic in a conversation. And, and I, I, the angle you've touched on tonight, which is 
are we, is there fear in people's game because of that credibility thing about rank now? I think there's something in that as well. Definitely. There is. And, and, that, and, and when I think we talk about the poll, the poll results, I don't think were reflective of the game week. The poll results are much more reflective of people's general attitudes towards fearing a hall rather than seeing it as an advantage to capitalise on. Yeah, and that's and, what surprises me. And you are sampling the Twitter community and it's a Twitter community, which is perhaps more guilty of that than any other yeah. section of FPL managers. Maybe. Yeah. Right? I'm not making that statement. But maybe. Well, they're more aware. They're more aware, right? Effective, you know, if I ask my group of friends from uni who, if they know what effective ownership is before this season, none of them would have had a clue. Now a lot of them do know it because they've got more involved in it. They're listening to podcasts, might be listening to this right now. Um, you know, the more, the more engagement you have with the game, the more you understand these kind of things. And it's interesting, and you know, we're going to talk about this, something exciting we've got planned in a few weeks, I won't go into the details of it, but seeing the difference in strategy between people who don't have these tools and don't have this fear and the strategies they implement and the players they do and the decisions they make compared to those who are more influenced by it uh, is a really interesting debate. It's a little, yeah. little teaser there. but Yeah, but well, anyway. hopefully we're going to get some clues on that in the, in the next few months. I'm just talking about my season because what's interesting here is my turning point was in game weeks 18 to 20, when I had that big jump there, um, 173,000 places. And that was because the two chips that I played, the free hit and the bench boost. It followed a really bad week after the walk. And it's interesting what I said about, oh, I need confidence to make some bold decisions. Because look at that game week I had after my wildcard. Absolutely disastrous. <laughs> and yet I immediately recovered. And it's almost like, well... Even though I had a bad game week off the wild card, I was convinced that the wild card was right and I'd set myself up for the bench boost. And the difference was in game week 20, I had a couple of differentials. I had Rafina early, who got uh, double figures at Newcastle. Mm. And I had Trent, who got that double figure return against Spurs. I don't know if you remember that evening. Oh, as, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you, you message me? Well, I messaged you about that the other night. I, I, I sometimes, you know, like... Um, PTSD, like, you know, the army people used to get. Sometimes I'll just wake up in the night in cold sweat, just mm. remembering that, that night we had. Uh, yeah, and I messaged you the other day saying, oh, I've just had another memory about the, the Trent thing. And you said to me, it's one of your favourite ever FPL moments. Yeah, I can't <laughs> lie. It's probably my oh. highlight of the season so far. The moment Such you went out of the man. room, went to get a drink, came back and the player you just sold that game week had just scored and I had him in my team. Yeah. Absolutely. Those, those moments. No, those moments are golden, aren't they? Um, let's look at another chart that Tim's done because I'm loving Tim's charts. Um, this one, this is interesting as well. This looks at our, how our game weeks are distributed in terms of our rank in, you know, in the top 10%, top 20% or whatever. And again, this shows that we've been pretty good in terms of consistency yeah. in the... You know, we've only had, I've had three bad game weeks where I've ranked in the bottom 80%. You've had three as well in the bottom 75%. So we haven't had many disastrous game weeks. We've been pretty consistent there. I think the difference, the only difference between me and you is you've had more in that middle area, mm. that, that around the 25 to 45% mark, whereas I've had more of a cluster more at the top. Of the top ones. And, yeah. and you saw in the, in the, in the last, in the last idea, the actual points between us, the average points. I think mine was 62 and yours was 67. Mm. Like you wouldn't think that could make a difference. If I said to you, you're getting 67 points every week and I'm getting 62, I wouldn't expect that I was going to be 250K and you were going to be 6K, for example. Mm. Um, but then you look at this and yeah, and it's, it's about that difference, isn't it, in, 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 in game weeks. I mean, that is a lot of top 10% game weeks for you. I mean, seven 
seven you know weeks and i've had three um but, you, but interestingly we'll look at this next next i think it the next slide yeah in terms of the best game week rank you've just had yours 3233 you've had a better single game week than me i mean my best game week is 32984 um yours is 3000 so you've had you know a more a bigger spike if you like um over the season and our worst game ranks are pretty similar. Mine's 6.6 million, yours is 6.4. But what we've got on this table here is a, a comparison to Michael Kuhne, who or Michael Kuhn, who's the number one FBL manager in the world at the moment. And you look at his consistency. His average game week rank is 1.2 million. Mine's 1.69, mm. or almost 1.7, and yours is 2 million. So that's that, it. it's consistency, yeah. isn't it? Because again, like his best game week rank is not as good as mine and definitely not as good as yours. His best game week rank is 41.574. So he hasn't had any spectacular game weeks. That is bizarre, isn't it? For the top player in the mm. world to not have a game week in the top 40K is quite surprising. So that kind of shows if you, if you had a game week rank every week of a million, you'd win it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more or less. I mean, you know, you'd have, you'd have to have some... Ab- above that but that's what you're looking for you're looking for that consistency rather than spectacular game weeks uh, and I've kind of had it not enough not enough to push where Michael is at the moment but that's probably why I've had a better season than you not because I've had outstanding game weeks but we just I've had steady yeah, yeah. steady consistent decent game weeks in the top 30% and you've had more around the 40 to 50 mark yeah. so, John, uh, John, John Chappelle oh he's just retracted his comment I saw oh, it what? John what was he saying <laughs> he's insulting my math saying you know five points so 67 for you 62 for me five points a week it's 150 points over 30 weeks yeah no I get that my point was more that that is not much when you, you know if you think about it just week on week five points you think about all the decisions you make every week and you know you might uh, bench a clean sheet and you know we get annoyed about it but then we mm. think oh it's only five points only six points whatever but these things do add up and you know that is it isn't it having that consistency get, even just getting that an extra eking out an extra three or four points every week on what you might have had can have absolutely massive impacts on on your rank so yeah i think that's i think that's really interesting uh, another stat to bring out here between us and michael the top rank manager is that he's only made 27 transfers and only taken four hits all season mm. whereas we've made 38 for you 35 for me I've taken 36 points in hits. You've taken 48. That's a lot, isn't it? We've, <laughs> well, yeah. but do, you, do, you think the, do you think the flip side of that is the kind of luck element? Like if he's had the players in early, he hasn't needed to take hits because he's had in the players that we want anyway, right? Or like if he's getting, if he's, he's making like the right moves every week, which is why he's number yeah. one. Yeah, it's possibly. Not because he's, it's not because he's not taking hits. It's because he's just getting it right every week. Like all, a lot of my hits, I'm taking out dud players who I've bought in and who I just haven't performed. Whereas if I've got in the right players, I don't need to take the hits to get them out. So I think there's a little bit of a pinch of salt take needed with that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you look at his two things I picked out for him. Well, one straight away, his total, his immediate point gains and transfer is not as strong as mine and only one point better than yours. So his transfers mm. in the week he brings them in don't do any better than yours and actually mm. don't do as well as mine. So he isn't making, I mean, obviously long-term, he, his transfers may well be performing out point better. The other stat that's interesting here is he's had 27 auto subs, whereas I've only had 12 <laughs> and you've only had 13. So that that is a lot. Yeah, so he's had 27 players come off the bench and they have scored him 87 points. That's quite a lot of points off they the bench. They say it's not luck. 
Well, I, I didn't want to go. I mean, that's it's a bit harsh to say he's had luck, but he has had some, obviously, because twenty-seven auto subs is quite a lot. I mean, that kind so of means I've... that you're. But then he could be one of those managers who plays that silly game where they put their first choice players on the bench and deliberately. Oh, that's true. That's he could true. be one of those, couldn't he? I don't know what you call those managers, but I don't like them. And Jen so Jen started doing that on, <laughs> on purpose just to wind me up. Yeah. So I've I've always had you down as a very jammy. Thanks. The jammy guy That's sometimes. Good, yeah. And and Granville is, you know, whenever you get any he bench points, does. he's straight onto the chat to us, isn't he? Mm. And he's like, a mark mm. again, getting 10 points off. But what is, so you I've had nearly double the auto sub points that you've had. Yeah, look, season. 33 points off 12 subs. Rubbish. Rubbish. Yeah. So I haven't had much luck off the bench. Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we've had four double digit halls benched. He's only had three. Doesn't really show much, does it really? No. Double digits after the captain multipliers applied 66. So he's had more double digit returns than us, as you would expect for the top manager in the world. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting compared. I mean, I'll, we'll have a look at this again at the end of the season uh, and see, you know, if Michael wins it, we'll look back at his season in a lot more detail and see how big a factor some of these things were. Um, but we're going to look at the captaincy in a lot of detail now. And Michael's on this table as well. So this is the season so far for captains. And straight away, what I want to pick out is the captaincy is a total percentage of points. There's no difference between me, you, Savert, who was just so people know, Savert was the manager who had the highest captain points tally last season. So if you like, he was the best at picking captains last season. He has got 22%, 22.7% of his points from his captaincy this year. I've got 22.1, as has got 22.9, and the number one in the world, Michael Kuhn, 22.8. So nothing between us. So basically, none of us have been overly reliant on the captaincy for our points. It's pretty even. What does that mean? I was trying to figure out what that means. Does that mean the captaincy isn't important, as we think? God, that's put me on the spot. Uh, Well, yeah, I guess so, maybe. Um, I mean, Michael's that if he's had that many points coming off his bench, that, that definitely <laughs> Sorry, helps. Michael. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the captaincy is important, though, isn't it? Yeah, like, it, yeah. It, it, it it always has been. Um, and you talk about those those five points every week, and I think that is why a lot of people do end up going for these these premium players and not trying to hit the the outside picks because you know if you've got a steady stream of six or seven points every week from Salah, for example, you'd probably almost be quite happy with that. And it's why Cancelo ended up being someone that I looked at as captaincy because he was just getting six points every week. And it was like, maybe that's good, <laughs> especially when all the kind of heavy hitters are, are blanking. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't what do you, What do you think? Do you, I, 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 I'm sure the captaincy is important, so I don't know how much to... Maybe we're all just really good. Maybe that's really high. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his, his captain points before the double or triple effect is applied, he's got 232 You've got 205, I've got 212. That's not a massive difference. So, you know, between me and him, he's only got 20 more points from his captains than me, really. Um, mm. He's got more than that because he's probably got his treble captain better than mine. He's got his triple captain better than mine. So he's ended up after the multipliers on 480, I'm 432, you're 418, Savert 424. So we're doing pretty well against Savert, who's having an okay season, but not spectacular in terms of the captaincy. But Michael clearly got his triple captain stronger than us to get 480. So, 
just 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 one other thing. Um, mm. I mean, it depends what you've. Had. I mean, he's got sixty points more than me from his captains. Yeah, looking at that second that second column, mm. he's over two hundred points ahead of me. Mm. So that's. I mean, that's not massive. I mean, a quarter of a quarter of the points have been captain, but that's still a lot of other points that aren't. Yeah, that's what captaincy. it is. It's about, I mean, 22.8 is the percentage of his points that he's got from the captaincy. It's probably yeah. about right. Yeah, yeah about the same. Yeah, so yeah. it's a 25% kind of impact on your total score, we would say. If, at we, most. if we had, if we picked the exact same captains, he'd still be 140 points yeah. ahead of me, which mm. is a lot still. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. So decision, obviously the decisions he's making are right. Mm. I, I, I'm, I am a bit surprised by that. I thought that would be higher. I thought... I thought with someone world number one, their captain points would be a lot higher than mine, like over 100 by this point. So does I. Um, yeah. I don't but, know what his triple captain was. I should have looked that up. But I think it was obviously quite strong. Um, another thing that I picked out here is you, if you'd have picked your vice captain oh. <laughs> instead of your captain, <laughs> you wouldn't be better off, but you'd only be worse off by eight points. So that basically means that every week, your choice between the captain and the vice captain is obviously pretty close. Do you feel that? Because this data suggested it has been. Um, not really. Not to the mm. point in which I'm often like thinking, oh, I might captain this one. Normally with my captain, I'm pretty set on it. Like mm. I've done my research and I kind of know what I'm going to, what I'm going to do, especially by the end of the week. So I can't think of too many times in which I've actually thought to myself, oh, it was a 50-50 call and I nearly went with the vice captain over it. Because some of the time I, I go with the vice captain as kind of a, a bit of a safety thing as well, like mm. not captaining two players from the same team, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, you, when you texted me originally, you told me that my vice captain yeah, was I got like that double one. the points of my yeah, got that I was one. like, oh no. But, but I mean, you case. look at the difference in my captains and my vice captains, 130 points. I'd be 100, I'm 130 points better off by picking my captain instead of my vice captain. So mm. no brainer decisions for me, but for you... Obviously, looks like it's been tight calls at times. Makes me feel worse in a way. Does it? Well, it means you've got better options than me. I think that's what it says to me. It means I'm making the wrong, I'm making the wrong decision yeah. each week. Interesting. Um, let's look at FBL Swede's um, um, stat, uh, his tweet that he made in the see in in the game week in the week just gone basically because this is where he talked about the differential captains and it was a really interesting thread. Got a lot of reaction. Um, you read it, you went through it. And what he did is he went and looked at fblive.net and got some data off there about the top 10K and what they did and what they've been doing with their account. He looked at their top three picks, um, the, the most popular pick in the top 10K, the second and the third, and looked at how they scored. Um, so he's kindly helped me out and given me that data and I've used it in, in, the, in the show here. Um, so I've got... This captain score comparison here, this table shows the data that he gathered for the top 10K. This is their most popular pick each week from 1 to 29. And then I've compared that to our picks. Um, and overall, if you went with the top 10K pick, that is the most popular captain pick in the top 10K, you would have got 219 points before the multiplier was applied. And... I got 212, you got 205. So basically, if we'd have just gone with the top pick in the top 10K, we'd have more points now. So that kind of goes against the differential argument in a way, in that if you play safe, you go with the most popular captain. Okay, this is only the most popular captain in the top 10K, but you've got to think they're the players that are switched on. Because when you look at the 
most popular captain across the game, you're taking in people who have left the game and still have a Bamiang captain from game week one, I expect. Mm. So, so who, who captain? A Bamiang. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm practicing. Sorry. I have, to, I have to practice off air. So that's interesting, isn't it? In, the, in a way, this advocates playing safe and going with the most popular captain pick, does it not? Yeah, it does. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, it's the most captain... The most captain player is often the player with the best fixture, right? Mm. It's, a, it's a combination of being a highly owned player anyway and then having the best fixture. I mean, if Salah's playing, you know, Chelsea at home and Kane's playing Crystal Palace at home and they're both the same ownership, obviously Kane's going to have the higher, the, be the higher captain. So there's, there's an element of that. But yeah, this kind of says to me that you could, in theory, take all the decision making out and just go with the thing. And, and you know, like the fancy scout poll mm. for example you know you that every week the player who tops that poll is a good player to pick as captain for that week it's, it's, it's kind of obvious because why else would you mm. vote for them so it, it's not it's not completely surprising but this is where it, it, it says to me as well is that it, you can maximize this even more by looking at the players and you know this place basically every week these these players haven't scored double-digit points every week. So there is potential here to, to do better, right? This isn't like, this, is the, this isn't the best it can be. This is a good, solid way of playing the game, picking the most high end players with weaker fixtures, obviously. But there's a lot of twos here. There's some zeros. There's yeah. a three. There's a four. There's a five. If you can turn those into, think, well, firstly, you're a psychic. <laughs> but secondly, it shows there is potential at times to go against the grain and, and try and maximise Well, I've got score. a table that's interesting in that respect. But before I leave this one, these highlighted cells here, the highlighted rows in our tables, you've got four of them. I've got four. No, you've got five. I've got four of them. Those are the players that are not in the top three picks for that game week in the top 10K. So in other words, they're kind of differentials. They're players that the top 10K didn't pick as their either first pick, second pick, or third pick. So they're kind of differentials. Look at, so you've only done that five times. So effectively, you've perhaps only picked five differential captains. If you look at the players, De Bruyne game week three, Mares four, Cancelo in 22, Salah in 28, and Trossard in 29, of course. I've picked four, Werner in game week three, Jimenez in game week four, De Bruyne in 10, and Salah in 17. None of those players in those game weeks win the top three mm. captain picks in the top 10K. And they've scored pretty badly. I've only had one <laughs> yeah. return out of my four. That was De Bruyne in game week 10. You've had a bit more success, but your biggest success is Mr. Trossard. You've just yeah. had him. So yeah, that's, that, that, it, yeah well, really interesting. It just shows no, that just, when we have taken a risk, he hasn't really come off, has it? Yeah, I think it's exactly what it I mean, I've even got a couple more in there who I'm surprised. Like Antonio... Uh, in 23, I'm surprised he was in the top three. He was the third um, third most popular pick in the top 10 career. Yeah. yeah, Vardy in, in game week 10. These, these are players who I saw as being slightly different, you know, but obviously weren't because they weren't in the top three, but they were at the time. And I'm surprised to see De Bruyne there in, in, in game week three. There must have um, been stronger options. I mean, Vardy in game I, week 10 was, was the most popular pick in the top 10K, 21%, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, that's the thing, isn't it? I think that's that's the difference between maybe the community that we have and then kind of what's happening kind of in the game. Because I don't think... I remember that week was the week everyone was flocking to De Bruyne. And I I actually went the other way. I, I got in Mares and Vardy that mm, week. Mm. Um, 
and it was a bit different to kind of what people were doing. But actually, I was just bringing in the highly owned <laughs> captain, captain that week. So yeah, it's, it, and and that was the yeah. week that me and you split apart because we were neck and neck mm. until then. I went to Boyer, yeah. captained him two weeks running, and he got twenty four points. And your captain's only got you nine. And from that point on, we went our separate ways a bit. So that we've said before about that being a key decision. This table here, this is effectively what FPL Suite did here was he looked at those captains that had at least 1% ownership, uh, 1% captaincy backing in the top 10K and picked the highest scoring player. So this effectively is the best you could do, the best captain picks you could do in terms of players that gained at least 1%. Oh, backing. this is nice. This is a and nice if you, chart. if you picked them, you would have got 375 points. So that's nearly double the tally. I think it was 219 on the previous table to three. So massive gap. So this, this highlights, and you can see the rank that they got there, and there's only a few that were actually the most popular pick. So it shows, and if you look at the names, look at the names, Salah, Kane, Calvert-Lewin, Kane, Kane, Son, Salah, Kane. None of these players are differential players, are they? Look at them. I mean, they're all players that mm. you would pick. I can't look at, is there, Trossard's the only player there who I would say is a differential in game week 29. What are you counting? You're counting how many times Fernandez so is six, 16 out of 29 of those yeah. had a captain of less than 10%. Yeah. Which is quite high if you want to present mm. the alternative way of, of looking at it. Um, but, the, um, but, but your point is that they're all, they are all heavy hitting players. Yeah. And that is why I'm not going to sit here and advocate that we should all captain Trossard every week because that isn't, in my mind, the sensible way. And, and you know, I don't think that's, that is what Luke would say either because Luke talks about insurance and you talk about a player like Kane. Kane can have an awful game and then he can stick in a penalty like he did. And often, the, the, I mean, look at these players. You look at Vardy, Kane, Fernandez, Salah, um, De Bruyne. They've all got that fallback of, of free kicks often penalties often and they just eke out these these points when they're not even playing playing particularly well so again i think that's another key thing they're players not only playing for the top teams which they are because there's very few players on here which are playing for teams outside the top six but they're also players who've got that fullback of those of those set pieces you know the only player on this list that i haven't owned at some point in the season is vardy And it must, i mean for you have you owned them all at one point i think you have haven't you? i have sterling them all Yep. Have you owned Sterling? Yeah, I had him. We got right. him for the missed penalty, didn't we? Right. So you've owned every single one of those <laughs> players at, at some point this season. I've owned every one of them. So this, this, this basically says to me, it's not about the player. You don't have to be clever and try and find this outlier, this amazing player that no one else has signed. Just don't pick the most popular captain necessarily. You know, pick mm. the third or fourth most popular. Because, so it's a heavy hitter, but maybe not the most obvious choice in that game week. Mm. Yeah, that's what this shows me. And and the, and the other thing is, don't forget, like you've got the player. It, you know, if if you're going against Kane, you've got Kane. Mm. Like you're not going to be absolutely crippled. Like, what's the best case scenario for Kane? Well, the worst case scenario if you haven't captured him, twenty points hat trick. You've got him. Well, you've got you those that, twenty points. Mm. <laughs> but if you go if you go against him and he does blank and you have those points, then the gain is is. And, and it's not really a, 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 it's a difficult point because it's a bit like my triple captain argument in the sense that people think you need to back against a, a highly owned player for the triple captain chip. And I think that's nonsense because that's all about the point. And it's, it is a similar with, with the captaincy. 
because obviously if you've got that player in and you captain him, um, you know, you, you're, you're getting, you would have got those points anyway if you didn't captain or half of them. Maybe so. I, mean, yeah. like I would have got yeah. 14 points. I don't want to get into that saying. again, but yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not, get, we're not getting into not, that. No, not on a Sunday night. <laughs> no, no. Um, so you, you've, got to, you've got to be a bit kind of, you've got, if you're looking at that argument, you've got to think of it that way. But that is it. I, I think people are worried that they're going to lose, you know, Kane bangs and they, you're going to lose 40 points. You're not going to lose 40 points. You're going to lose a 20 points because, mm. you know, you've, you have already got that player in play. And, and you've got to think, people are too worried about thinking about what could happen in a bad way rather than thinking about what could happen in, in a good way. And I think they're right. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying only one striker has got more than 20 points in a single game this season, and it is Kane, 21, mm. at Southampton. So he's only done it once this season. Um, and we're going to look at that now. Um, this is effectively what I did. The Halls of Fame, do you like this? Um, nice pun. What I did is I looked at every double-figure return, <laughs> nice. every double-figure return that a player has gained this season. And then I started looking at, first of all, lots of data, but this is the first table. This is the number of double-figure returns that players have had. Fernandez at the top with 11, miles out in front. Jeez. From Son on nine, those two right out in front. Gundogan, six. Kane, six. Martinez, six, the goalkeeper. Mm. Vardy, six. De Bruyne, five. I'm not going to go all the way down the list. What's interesting here, Trossard's got four double-figure returns. Now, that's quite interesting because I, you know, and Mount has as well. Madison has. These are players that I, I've kind of... More I was surprised. Yeah, I was. Yeah, exactly. More than Calvert Lewin. Yeah, um, and we look at you know Lingard's um, Rafinha's got one double figure return, and yet you know you'd always have Ling- Rafinha in your team over Trossard, wouldn't you at the moment? Mm. But yeah, four double figure returns for Trossard, which puts him in the same bracket as Grealish, Madison, and Mount, and Ward Prowse is in there as well on four double figure returns. So look here at the forwards. You've got Kane on six and Vardy on six. Then you've got to go all the way down to about halfway on this list before you get to Calvert-Lewin on three. Then you've got Lacazette on three. So clearly here, your big returners of double figures are midfielders. But goalkeepers do pretty well there. Melier, mm. Pope and Martinez all in the top 12 or so. Um, any names there that surprises you? Well, what, what I really like about this is it kind of, it strengthens the case. If you look at Rafinha versus Trossard, right? Mm. Rafinha's got less double digit returns, but higher overall points. Mm. Thing. So if you're picking a dead team and you're looking for a season, you pick Rafinha over Trossard. But again, just like the captaincy, it just shows that if you, if you back yourself and you time it right and you, you know, you're not stuck with these players when you bring them in. If you can bring in Trossard, hit his couple of double digit returns. Obviously it's not that easy to do. I'm thinking kind of, hypothetically, but that is where the points come. If you can, if you can time the way in which you, you transfer in and out of these players to try and target when they're going to haul and you identify which players are capable of hitting the hauls. So if you look at Trossard and you think, okay, he's going to blank a lot of weeks, but if I can get him in for a run in which he hits these high, that's going to be a massive boost to me. Then that is a similar argument to the captaincy argument because it's all about maximising it from timing the ways in which you, you make your decisions. Um, I mean, th- this this list is great. I mean, look at like Salah, Salah with five. Yeah, same as Mahrez. Mahrez has got five. <laughs> Mahrez is, is is a nightmare, and I think that's what puts a lot of people off Trossard as well, because he's a nightmare as well. Because he he could go on a run of ten blanks and then smash into it's, it's the peaks, isn't it? It's the peaks, massive right? peaks. I mean, yeah. it, it's interesting because this is important because we have to build. I often talk about the profile that a player has, I and mean, I have profiles. You know, we have Vardy, who's not a stats driven. You can't look at stats and predict when Vardy's on form or whatever. 
And what this says to me is, and we, we kind of know that Mares is a player who's going to have peaks and it's very hard to find them. It's very hard to hit them. Trossard is clearly in that bracket as well now. Yep. Um, he's a player that will get you double figures if you time it right. But he's not a player, he's not a player you can go, well, I'm going to get him in and stay patient with him because he will mm. get, he'll have seven or eight runs of two points, won't he? Yep. And, unless he stays in this position, unless Brighton keep this formation, keep this system, if they do, we might see him become a player worth having yep. next season. Yeah, and, and and I think that is that is he he's been a victim of being shifted around different different positions. And like like I said to you in the last black box, I've never known what his position is in the team because he's our best player. I would say, like talent wise, him and him and Lallana, obviously Lallana's getting on a bit, but like he's never really. I've never really known. Like he's a left winger, right? I I always thought he was a mm. left winger, but he very rarely plays as left wing because he plays a striker sometimes. He plays in the hole. He sometimes he's played on the right a couple of times, and like because the system's so fluid and, and changing so much, that is what probably has a, quite a big impact on his on his ability to to hit these. Because you know sometimes he's creator, sometimes he's dropping deep, sometimes he's asked to hug the touchline, sometimes he's coming in. It's it's a tricky role for him, but he's got he's got the potential there because he's he's great. He, he really he really is a good player. Yeah, he's one. Um, he's one we've got to keep an eye on. on. We've got to keep an yeah. eye on next next season. Lingard three double figure returns. He's done that in what in nine appearances for West no. Ham. So he's got no. as many double figure returns as Rashford this season, and and yeah, and Suchek, and yet you know as it, so that shows his merits. Really, he's done that. You know, Rafina. Has been brilliant over the last twelve weeks, but one double figure return. Lingard's had what nine appearances, I think, in the league. Three double figure returns. Strong, strong. The big, the biggest name, the biggest surprise on there is Jorginho. Yeah, well, those penalties <laughs> early season, oh though, my wasn't it? God, mm. five. So he's had as many double digit returns as Salah. As Salah, and where's Mane? Mane's yeah. got two double figure returns this season. Terrible. Yeah, he's not had a good season, man. Even you know, even ignoring that, like he just hasn't been. I don't think it's any real surprise that this gets coincided with Liverpool having such a poor season because he hasn't seemed on it mm. all year. He had he had little spells. He had that that game yeah. at Southampton where Liverpool were terrible, but he was brilliant and he nearly won mm. it. He really got the points on his own. But and Sterling, Sterling and Mane have been big disappointments. Oh, they've been they've been so, and it's the consistency. They just have not been consistently. Well, they've been more consistently bad than they've been consistently good. So the next thing I wanted to look at was just to confirm the positions and where, where do the double-figure returns come from? Do they come more from up front uh, than defence? Is midfield still the right position to invest in? So I started looking at the breakdown. So I looked at the 10-plus point hauls. So that's more or less every double-figure return. 323. And of 323 double-figure returns... 49.2% have come from midfielders, just 161 from forwards, 235 from defenders. So defenders have actually got more double-figure returns mm. than forwards this season. And then you go up to 13-plus, midfielders still well out in front. 50% of the 138 13-plus hauls have come from midfield. Forwards jump a bit to 21.7. Defenders jump a little bit to 26.1. So still... When you're looking at 13 points or above, defenders have done better than forwards. It's not until you start getting to 16 plus and 20 plus that you see forwards out, outdo defenders. But midfield, all the way down to the top. So if you're looking for a 20 plus point hole, 62% of them have come from midfielders. There's only been eight all season. Only mm. one forward's got a 20 plus score. 
That's Harry Kane in 21. So this says to me, when it comes to the captaincy, it's going to have to be a bloody good case for me not to captain a midfielder. Mm. Are you not going well, with that? Well, no, the, the two things are, firstly, should we be considering defenders more? Yep. That's the first thing that, that strikes me about it, because if they're shoving, they've got more chance of getting a double digit, or they, well, not more of a chance, but historically they are getting more. And that, to me, is the key thing, because points-wise, defenders don't score as many as midfielders and, and forwards. You see it with, you know, the top players. Um, first on the list, the midfielders and strikers have more points than the defenders. So, to me, it's more about the captaincy than, than it is. I, I, I'm, I'm not suddenly saying, let's go four or five at the back, because obviously you've got to take into account the, the points that they get. Um, but maybe defenders are the way to go. And, you know, you look at, you look at someone like Cancelo, I think he's massively underperformed on mm. what he's capable of. We all thought he could. That one game, didn't he, against, was it West Brom? West Brom, like 20 or points. 17, yeah, yeah, yeah some, some massive score. But other than that, I would have thought he would be, have, have loads of double-digit returns. But yeah, it's, when they get a clean sheet and they get an attacking return, you, that, it doesn't surprise me because you've got attacking defenders now. Yeah. And that's, that's what they need. But they this need is also more. the season where Robertson and Trent haven't been on it. So yeah. had they been on it, that would have been even higher, surely. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, midfielders, midfielders always strike me as the sensible captain pick because I, I think the, the, the game favours them, doesn't it? You know, the extra point for the goal, extra point for the clean sheet. Are they more likely to get bonus? They, they seem to be. Like when a midfielder scores... They shouldn't be. It depends if it's a creative player. If it's someone like Rafina or De Bruyne who makes a lot of key passes, they definitely are more likely to get yeah. bonus. So you see it with, with, with Fernandes. It's very, very yeah. rare for Fernandes to get an attacking return and not get any bonus. He just needs an assist. De Bruyne, yeah. Rafina, De Bruyne and uh, Fernandes. If they get an assist, they're going to get at least two bonus, possibly even three. And that's why, like for example, we all like Nick Pope. Because Nick Pope doesn't just get a clean sheet, he gets a couple of save points and then he mm. gets the bonus as well. And so when you've got a, a midfielder who, you know, needs to get less to get more, it just makes sense. And it's the it? same for defenders. When you look at Creswell and Dina, I mean, Dina doesn't get clean sheets very often, but because he puts crosses in and he can be on set plays, that's the key passes and completed crosses uh, and maybe big chance created. That all contributes to him getting bonus. So... It, Often you see, if it's never in clean sheet, you bet Dina's going to get something. But Creswell, definitely, because he's got lo lots of assists, lots of, I think we've seen last week, is it 43 key passes? So, mm. you know, you've got to get this profile built up of these players and know how to play the bonus system. And that's something I advocate. But this is interesting. It just For me, it just reinforced that midfielders have got to be my first option. And I'm only going to look at a forward when there's nothing in midfield that I, I like. Um, so, I yep. mean, that, that just rammed it home for me. So what I then started doing, I thought to myself, well, I've got this data. It'd be then... You're down a rabbit hole, wouldn't I you? I know. It would be then nice <laughs> to have a look at what defences have conceded the most double-figure returns. So what teams have allowed the most double-figure returns against them? And so what this table is here is that league table. And we've got Man City at the top. They've only allowed six double-figure returns all season. And you've got West Brom at the bottom on 29, 29 double figure returns. And also what I thought would be nice is to identify the fixtures that would be most likely to return double figures based on the data. And that is West Brom away. So if your player is going to West Brom, they have conceded 19 double figure returns in their home games. 
and mm. Sheffield United at home. So if your player is playing Sheffield United at home, they've conceded 15 double-figure returns. So not too surprising here, but there are some surprises in here. Um, I look at you know Brighton. If you're going to Brighton, they've only conceded five double-figure returns at the Amex. Equally, and this is pertinent to this game week coming, Newcastle have only conceded seven double-figure returns in their home matches, and we've got Kane going to Newcastle, and yeah. everyone's thinking Kane captaincy. Only one striker has got a double-figure return at Newcastle this season. Do you know who that is? I do know who it is, <laughs> and it is my best friend, Neil Mopay. And I remember that game well, because we, you know, we absolutely battered him in it, and it was on my mind for the, for the game um, at the weekend, because if we can play that well against them away, then surely we'll we play better at home. Just a quick shout out to Johnson Hem- Hemingway in for an, a super chat. Don't oh, get many super chats. Okay, so thank you, Johnson. Thank you, Johnson. Um, but he says you overlooked um, Bamford in the uh, in your table, just like Southgate, because he's had four double digit hauls. Did I miss, was he not in there? I'll have a look at that. That's sorry, interesting. Sorry, sorry, Bamford, yeah. and sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'll, Johnson. I'll check how but, I filtered them out. Uh, go on. I tell you what, all of this stuff is telling me this week, mm. though. Captain Alonso. West Brom at home have conceded. If you're playing West Brom at home, ten double figure returns. Not massive. Not as good oh, as at home. Yeah. No. Um, West Brom at home. Chelsea at home to West Brom. So if you're playing West Brom at home, they've conceded. They they have conceded oh, more. Right. So it's whether you're playing them at home or. So away. it's not West Brom away. It's not West Brom being away. No. It's they're away at. Yes. Right. So yeah. if your player, <laughs> if your player is away at West Brom, they've got more chance of getting a double figure return. And if you're playing them at home. So yeah, it's always confusing. It's like the tickers, isn't it? It's very hard to explain yeah, yeah. what it means there. So yeah, West Brom have been worse at in home matches. As we kind of know, we've known we've known that, right? We've we've had the the anecdote that West Brom in home matches have looked worse and more vulnerable than they have on the on the road. Um So if you're playing Leicester away, yeah. they've got one of the most And Evan. Evan <laughs> Everton at Goodison have conceded twelve double figure returns. So, but like I kind of know that Everton are quite poor at home. Yeah. But they haven't, you know, they haven't been great at Goodison. Leicester, though, I thought of being pretty good at, at home. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at that. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, Leicester in, you know, if you're, if you're Isn't player. City? Aren't City playing Leicester away? They are. This week? I know. Yes. And oh, I, I, I look at this and think, <laughs> yeah, maybe I am going to play Gundogan. I'm not in any hurry maybe to get rid of my City assets because actually Leicester do ship chances. Do you know what? This genuinely might help quite a lot with my, my decision this week. Because my decision this week um, is going to come down to bringing in Son or De Bruyne. Mm. And this stat, this table suggests that De Bruyne would be the better option than Son. Yeah, because Newcastle in home matches haven't been as porous as you might expect. Yeah. Well, what you, re- what you really want, though, is you want to take this and do something like this with it, which is a ticker, <laughs> which is a ticker based on everyone's remaining fixtures and the defences they're up against and how many double figure returns those defences have returned. So this this table shows that over the remaining fixtures, Southampton are playing the defences that are most obliging or the best set of defences that are most obliging. This is so good. For double figure returns. (laughs) I told you I had some good stuff, right? Um, This is good. um, Wolves, look at this though, Wolves. I mean, everyone fancies Wolves because of the fixtures. And you've got to look at that cluster of games from 31 to 34. They are playing four teams 
in fixtures that have, they were they conceded 13, 15, 12, and 19 double figure returns. So that says to me, I've absolutely got to get on the Wolves attack in that spell. I don't know Neto. if I'm go- not going to captain Neto, but I've got to have him, I think, for that spell. And the other thing here is Leicester from 32 to 35 yeah. have got a good cluster as well. So I want to get a Leicester attack and maybe, in Inacho, a lot of people are going to have, but maybe get Vardy as well there. Um, looking down the table, Chelsea, I mean, a lot of people are looking at their defence, fair enough, but I was looking at Havertz maybe for this fixture against West Brom. And West Brom, as we've said, in away matches conceded 10 double-figure returns so far. But Chelsea's fixtures over the rest of the season, pretty difficult in terms mm. of teams they're playing who have conceded double-figure returns. So this is one there. I mean, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying pick your transfers based on this. It's just another stat to consider. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? And it and the data did marry up with my perception of who the weaker defences were and who were the stronger ones. Um, but there was a few anomalies there that just got me thinking. Like the Leicester one, Leicester in home matches do obviously allow chances. Mm. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly it made me look at this and identify two game week, three game week clusters. And certainly the two real clusters that stand out are Wolves 31 to 34 and Leicester 32 to 35. I also think I want to get on Liverpool from 35 onwards because they've got a run of four games. Yep. I mean, you can look at the fixtures and know this, but this just kind of reinforces it, doesn't which, it? Which is important for us as well because we've got the wild cards come in yeah. sort of fairly soon. I mean, Wolves are, diff- uh, are tricky because, I mean, they're, they're safe, right? They've got nothing really to play for. They haven't set the world alight all season. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they just draw those games nil-nil. But that, that Leicester, I mean, Leicester, we know the run's good, but this really, I mean, I was thinking of just having one. I might even get two now. I might go for Madison and Vardy well, and really target it. Well, let's just get the ticker up to see what those fixtures are. Um, so Leicester's fixtures from 32 to 35 are West Brom at home, Crystal Palace at home, Southampton away and Newcastle at home. So you know that's good fixtures, right? The, yeah. da- the data on double figure returns just reinforces it a bit more. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got to have at least one Leicester attacker for that spell is what that tells yeah. me. I don't necessarily need to get them yet. I don't need to get them for 31 but I need to be on them by 32. And this is quite interesting as well, because I saw, I've seen a lot of wildcard drafts being put together. And whenever I look at some of these wildcard drafts, I think that looks great. But what you've got to remember is, we've got eight transfers between now and the end of the season. So you don't mm. need to pick your, t- your wildcard draft now for those nine game weeks. You've just got to pick your team for the first three or four, and then plan your transfers in and transition sw- that team. If you mention a spreadsheet, I'm well, going gonna... I'm, I'm to do one, but I haven't done one. <laughs> but it, I mean, so when I look at this, I don't, I don't think, well, I've got to get Vardy in my wildcard. No, I haven't necessarily. I've just got to get Vardy for game week 32. Yeah. And I know it's dangerous to bank transfers and go, well, that's the transfer I'm going to make because an injury could come up and scupper you. But presumably with our wildcards, we're going to get a bench that's strong enough to absorb that anyway. So I'm going to build my wildcard around the around the ticker and around the um, around some of this data as well to make sure I catch these clusters because this tells me that it just underlines those defences as being the most vulnerable. And, and this is our advantage, right? This is, this is having the wild card saved up until now. We've got to <laughs> because there's no point in, in using the wild card to bring in a load of players that everyone's already got. And I know you've talked about being a bit worried about taking out players and stuff and that is always the way like yeah. I think you said to Mode 
Um, it's bad enough making one transfer a week, let alone make it change, change your whole squad. And I completely, I completely relate to that. But at the same time, again, it's it's trying to hit the advantage, isn't it? It's trying to if people are scrambling around to get in Leicester and Wolves players and Liverpool for that thirty-five, being able to set ourselves up to with our spreadsheets to cleanly be able to work out what transfers we're going to do week week and have that plan should, in theory, give us an advantage until. It all goes wrong and all the Leeds players we take out. Because Leeds are, Leeds are the perfect example for me. Leeds have not got a good run. And no, it's this obvious. shows it. Look at this, from 31 to 36. They don't play a team that's yeah. given up more than, well, they play a team in 35 that's given up seven double-figure returns. But that's a difficult run. But not only, to this. That, not only that, they, um, they, they're, they're done. They're, what have they got to play for as mm. well? It's that, it's that same thing. And we have seen... I mean, the Fulham game, they played really well. Um, but they, we've seen in previous games where they haven't really been the, the, same, the same Leeds team that we've seen before. So it'd be interesting if that trend continues. I mean, I, I'm, I'm planning on dumping all of my Leeds players on the wild card. Yeah, three. I mean, I don't like losing Bamford and Mafina because I really like them as players. But they, they probably are, they probably are going to go. Um, and it's seems like, so they've got the run Man City away, Liverpool at home, United at home, Brighton away. Tottenham at home, Burnley away um, from 31 to 36. I mean, Burnley away, I, I thought to myself, well, Burnley away, that's not a tough game anymore. But when I looked at the table here, Burnley away in this, Burnley have only conceded four double-figure returns at Turf Moor. Hardly mm. anything. I mean, that's, that's better than Man United, better than Chelsea, and the same as Man City. So basically, Burnley have conceded as fewer double-figure returns as Man City yeah, in, in their home game. So when you go to Burnley, I mean, I captain Son at, at Turf Moor thinking, oh, that's the right thing to do. I won't do that. Okay, I'm not going to captain any player at Turf Moor for the rest of the season. I thought this season was going to be it for Burnley. I thought, I really thought they would be either fighting a real relegation battle or down, mm. <laughs> you know, because they lost... They didn't strengthen really at all, did they? And, you know, they're, they're bringing in quite a few players, like, like Brownhill came in and um, like some other guys. And the players, the players are all getting on a bit and they've been there for they, they haven't They haven't freshened up their squad in, in a while. And I thought maybe they're, you know, they would run up, but they've, they've been great again. Oh, just one thing we're getting from the chat is Leicester don't have a game in 32. Oh, it was in the ticker. Yeah, that, that, oh, that, yeah that because there. I haven't updated the ticket for the third. Yeah, but there's, there's going to be yeah. rearranged fixtures in that game week as well. So we haven't had those confirmed. Because in the FBL, the fixtures are removed. But Isn't ben, it 32? Ben Krillin, they're they're going to have the game anyway, right? It'll be later in the week. I think, I, that, that, I think that is the case. I thought all the fixtures removed from 32 are going to be played in 32 is what Ben is saying. So I've left them in the ticker uh, for now. Okay. Um, they're not in FBL though. They've been taken out of FBL. But I think it's a give. I think Ben confirmed. They currently don't have a game, but they oh, probably yeah. will have a game. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. other teams that don't as well. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think if you look at, I, mean, I don't think I've got Ben's latest chart linked here because I haven't set it up. But um, in his latest, he basically goes into this. Um, and we'll look at that in Thursday's show when we start looking ahead. Um, also, that reference to Bamford having four double figure returns. I've only included single games. So having a double figure return in a single game week doesn't count if it was two fixtures. There you go. So he has Very only nice. got three in single matches. So all those double figure return figures, if a player played twice in a game week, that doesn't count. I, I looked at every single individual match, not just that. 
Otherwise, it go. wouldn't be fair, would it? So I was right, I think. I think I'm right. Anyway, I was thinking about <laughs> that. Going, How did I make that error about Bamford? I can't believe I did that. And then like that, because obviously Leeds had that double game. Yeah, because if he got, yeah, because like the week I captained him, he, he triple captained him, he got double digits, but that was all in one game. Um, no, he got eight. over the two games. He got eight in that he game. He got eight and yes, and eight two and three. Was, yeah. I think he got yeah and three, yeah. something like that. But anyway, um, we digress. But yeah, that was useful exercise, and I think that's made me realise that. He said, I mean, I knew I wanted to look at a Wolves player. I knew I wanted to look at a Leicester player, but now that's kind of like, well, I've got no choice. I've I'll got- tell you what the next step is. Go on. You need to do a full count of all the players that played against teams <laughs> that had given lots of double digit hauls and work out how many double digit hauls there were. I've got that data. I just need to do a bit of there you go. Effort. Damn. Go on, pull your finger out, Mark. I know, it's outrageous, isn't it? Anyway, so on the basis of tonight's chat, I thought we'd change the captain matrix from now on in the, I think what I want to do is recognise the popular picks. So these are the picks that we think will be the most likely be the top picks in terms of percentage, in terms of effective ownership, I expect as well. And then have another column, which is differential picks from now on. So we can look ahead and go, right, Where's the game weeks where the strongest or most popular pick isn't perhaps as strong as we think, and that's the time to look at a differential pick? Um, for example, um, I would say that possibly game week 31, because of the Man City team selection, because we don't know what Pep's going to do with rotation, De Bruyne and Gundogan at home to Leeds and Salah at home to Villa could be popular picks. Right? I think... They're going to get a lot of captaincies. But actually, are we certain that De Bruyne and Gundogan are going to start the game? And do we want to back Salah against Villa? So I think this week, game week 31, not the one coming, but the one after, could be a time to consider a differential. And that's also when I'm going to be playing my wildcard as well. So it makes me think that should I set up with a differential captain in that week and go for it? And Yotta at home to Villa, Bamiyang at home away to Sheffield United. Havertz away at Palace, Neto away at Fulham. Could all be candidates that we could look at. So my, this is how I want to play it. I'll look at whether the popular picks are really strong. Like, for example, Fernandes at Leeds. Fernandes are home to Burnley. They're quite strong. It will, it will take me a lot of convincing to go for somebody mm. other than that player. But in 31, I look at the most likely popular picks. I think, actually, I don't know if I would go De Bruyne or Gundogan or Salah, and I'd be willing to take a risk. What do you think about that? I like it a lot. I think this adds a lot to the to the decision making. We we think about remember on the scout cast we was used to pick a differential, didn't we? Who we want, and mm. this is kind of that. It's kind of like if we weren't picking one of the main most popular captains, who who might we go for? I actually think game week thirty could be could be yeah. a, a strong week to consider it because I mean you've just presented the evidence that Newcastle away don't give up these huge um, you know chance of a double digit returns. And I look at that Leeds Sheffield United game. Sheffield United are bad, real bad. And West Brom are bad, <laughs> real, real bad. Yeah. So I don't think they're they're too. And you look at Leicester as well; they're giving up loads of double digit calls. So I'm. I, I, do you know what? On the back of this, I was so set on Kane, and I'm now having a bit of a another moment where I think maybe it's it might be time. But the trouble is, Newcastle are bad. Yeah, they are the, just that, bad that's now. the thing. It's like they're demoralised. They haven't got they? Hayden anymore, and he was the yeah. only one there that looked that looked half decent. That that's what you can't. I mean, like. Stats can give you data, historical data, but they can't bring in fact like these projection models cannot bring in that little nuanced detail like the fact that Hayden's missing, mm. um, you know, or there's a one of the back four is out and they've got to reorganise or, you know, they've 
and new keepers come in. Little details like that that you have to factor in. It's just how do you weight that? So how do you weight the fact that Hayden's not there in mm. the in the list of variables? Because I, I like Alonso or Havertz, I've got to say, because I've I've always planned to bring in Alonso this week. So dunk to Alonso, I've got the money to do. I could also do Gundogan to, to Havertz. So one of those two I like, which is why I didn't want to take the risk in third, believe it or not. I said to you, I don't want to do the 29 risk because I know I'm building up to one. There's one coming and this <laughs> this is it. And, and Luke's talking about captaining Alonso at home to if West Ham. If he starts, it's gold, isn't it? Well, we think he will because there's a couple of factors in his favour. Chilwell has gone off for duty and Alonso hasn't. And West Brom, against West Brom, perhaps Tuchel will go for the height of Alonso to counter set plays. So that's two things that you're speculative, I guess, but stats in his favour. Um, and I think from the, aren't West Brom weak from the left-hand side as well? I'll have to have a look at the data, but I think, I think they, they are. are, yeah. That's why we went for Son early in the season, you remember? Mm. So there's quite a few things. So I might do it. Because Luke's doing it. That's the it. dream. It is the dream. That's the dream. Alonso back in, captain. Oh. But what, what I don't want is people going, oh, Mark's only going to Alonso because he's trying to pander to Luke and, uh, and, and Az. I don't want, because I hate that. That's why when I saw you doing the threads, I'm Play like, oh, game, no. Mark. Don't worry about it. No, exactly. Else. People will say I'm not. People will say like, I'm only taking a risk because Az has talked to me. And then they, I was, my plan that I did, do you remember that spreadsheet? You should do a spreadsheet. Um, I had Alonso on there a few weeks back. So I'd like to think that people saw that. Someone messaged me I on know. Twitter and said, <laughs> they said, Classic. Um, I don't know why you're being so negative about Mark's spreadsheet as it's a really good idea and you should think about trying it. It's my idea. <laughs> I did the spreadsheet first. This is the joke. You've done the joke for so long that people forget I know. the joke. <laughs> I know. It's quite funny, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I like the Alonso P. And we'll talk more about this in Thursday's show when we start looking. Mm. Back. On Thursday's show will be a regular show where we'll look at player data and we'll look at the captaincy in detail. But this matrix, I think, is here to stay because I think this is a useful one to run because I yeah, it is. I have taken it on board. And although we've identified tonight that taking a punt on the captaincy isn't necessarily about the player, it's about if it's the most popular pick, looking beyond the most popular picks. And I think that's what this does. It, you know, We've got De Bruyne in column two as a differential pick because I do think, and Son even, who's a player, you know, people are going to go to Kane, they're not going to go to Son. People who go to Salah, they won't go to Yotta. So they don't have to be risky players. They're just not the most popular pick. Mm. And I think that's the way we, we ought to go from now on. Yep. Good. We've agreed on that. It wasn't too yeah. bad. We didn't argue too much over the... I want to end on one more thing because we talked about <laughs> what it takes to win. And when I was looking at Michael's um, record, I looked at where he was in game week one. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to look at the top 20 and see where they were in game week one, because our theory is that you've got to get a good start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look at this. So basically, the top 20 managers at the moment, only five of them have been outside the top 1 million in game week one. So basically, in game week one, they were inside the top 1 million. And even the ones who weren't in the top 1 million in game week one, by game week two, they were, apart from one, Brian Moore. So by game week two, if you're not in the top one million, you ain't going to win it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's nonsense, but, but, <laughs> but more or less, there's something yeah. in that. I mean, I'm going to look at it at the end of the season, but that's quite interesting. It's kind of what we thought, isn't it? 
Yeah, and, and it backs up what I had. I mean, I when I was when I was I wasn't going to win it, but when I was around eight hundred, when I finished eight hundred, I got off to an amazing start the season. And the three years that I've struggled, the last three, I've got off to terrible starts around the two million mark. So, yeah, it's what I said to you. I said to you in the first episode. I was like, my one thing I want to do this year is get a good, um, is get a good uh, start, and I didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, Sneezy Lasagna, great name, uh, says. He kind of talks about the, the psychological effects of getting a good start as well, because you're ahead. You're ahead psychologically. You've, made, you've built a good team, but also you're ahead um, in terms of your transfers as well. You haven't got a, you're not putting out fires. You're not just, you know, uh, we had to put out Werner and I had to put out Havertz and uh, we both had vin- Vinagra, didn't we? We had Pulisic, didn't we? I had Pulisic. No, I had, I had Havertz. I had mm. Havertz and Werner. But you were lucky with Pulisic because he was injured. That was an easy sell. Whereas I stuck with him for about six weeks and he was, he was rubbish. Um, so that's the, that's the thing of a good start. It's not just the points as well. It's also putting you ahead of the curve yeah. a lot of the time too. The price rises fall into place and everything. So and Michael was yeah, 43,000 in game week one. Yeah. Crazy start. I would, have, I would have thought more people, because like one week, you wouldn't have think like one or two weeks could have such a massive impact. Um, you know, after, after 30 weeks, I would have thought, you know, because I mean, you know, some, you know, you have managers who, um, started game week three or four and are ahead of, you know, in like the top hundred K, 200 K. But I'll, yeah, I'll look at it at the end start. of the season. I'm going to look back and see how far it goes down and see mm. if I want to see if anyone, what's the latest they arrived in the top 1 million, basically. Cause I remember last year, I think Joshua Ball was in the top you know, one million straight away and stayed there and was number one for like ages, wasn't he? And then he took over the number one toward the end, but he was number one for a period. Mm. Um, so I, I, I definitely think a good sign. I mean, this is why it's funny because the phrase is, you don't, no one wins or loses FBL in the first week. Um, I don't know. You go some way to losing it in the first week. Yeah, you do. And, and it's tricky. I mean, I joined a league, um, which game week 18, um, you had to be, a million or lower to qualify for this league. Um, and I'm doing all right in it. I'm like 20 if there's, there's a few hundred people in it, but the top guy in it is 122,000. So that's good. Like obviously that's an amazing turn in those sort of 12 weeks, but it's not like he's suddenly in the top 10 K. He's still not probably where he wants to be in like 11 weeks. And that's the best person in that league. So it it does show that it is, it is hard. It is hard. Mm. Um, but Interesting one. We'll look at that more yep. at the end of the season over the summer as well. Lots to come from FBL Black Box. As Az says, we've got a quite a big announcement to come of a, something we're going to do, which we're going to do after we do our wild cards, I think. When the wild cards yep. are played in 31, when it calms down, we'll then announce it. And then it's going to be fun, I think. Um, no more clues. So I'm not going to look at our teams tonight because we've nearly done two hours anyway. So we'll leave that for yeah, Thursday's show. Uh, so we'll be back on Thursday with the look forward. I hope you've enjoyed the bit of the retrospective and the chat that we had about effective ownership. That's going to run and run, isn't it, As You're not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> no. And like, I, just, I just think people, oh, you touched on it quite a lot, just people need to own, own their decisions and not look, at, not look at it like a safety net. Um, I've got no problem with, with using effective ownership. I've got no problem with, well, I'm going to have a, a bit, but like, I, I can, you know, I, I get it. I get that people have different strategies and stuff, but if it's making you go against what you think is the best thing to do then I, I don't think it should be used like that because you're never you're never gonna you're never gonna do well if you do that not no. really well fair enough and uh, i don't think we're going to do the q a session tonight but we'll do a backstage q a session 
in Thursday's yep. show as well, because we've got Friday off work, so we can be late. Could go on forever, couldn't it, that one? Um, so for now- Friday off work? Is it bank holiday? It's bank holiday. It's Easter. It? Yeah, it is. So there you go. I don't even know what day it is today. <laughs> get, get with the program. That's because you're full-time fantasy now, so you don't work on I the am. same clock as it. That's yeah, what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, it's just ready to like and smash the nest. Do you want to do the goodbye message? I will, yeah. And thank you. We've had a few super chats tonight, so thank you. Uh, Johnson Hemingway gave us another £5, by the way. Um, and he, dis- I didn't want to call you out, but he paid us. So I feel like I've kind of got to mention it. Um, but Bamford has had I know, I'm going to have to look it up. I know, I saw returns. it. <laughs> I apologise. I will look into the data immediately after the show and figure out what went wrong there. Because um, Patrick, I don't, want to, I don't want Patrick to miss out on mechanician, do I? But yes, I saw that. Yeah. Johnson's there. Just, <laughs> justice for Bamford's four double horse. Um, yeah, so yeah, thank you for, for watching. I, I know we had a few comments saying this clashed with Line of Duty. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so thank you for, for watching this I'm, over, I'm over a, that. I'm a big fan it. myself. Oh, so. you! I I've not seen any, but maybe I maybe I should. I watched One Division. I binged the whole of One Division in one night, um, and that is fantastic. Well, if hold you're, on. If you're a Marvel, hold fan. the phone. You've not seen any Line of Duty. Never. Wow. No. Oh my god! I I hate you because that means you can watch it all now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that with stuff like with um, with Breaking Bad when I when I knew people and watched that all like um, the surprise. Yeah, I need to. Watch, I know Line of Duty is talks about in the same like vain as like the Sopranos, which I love because I've, I've seen all well, that. Put it this way. If there was no method to record anything, I wouldn't be watching us. I'll be watching London duty. Right. Mm. That's exactly. Well, thank you. Well, thank you as well, Mark. For missing <laughs> <Lana Judy. laughs> it's very good. Um, so yeah, but yes. So we'll be back. Like on and smash. Yep. Yep. Like, like and smash. smash. We've got a little, little new, a new subs thing. Look, there it is. Look, there it pops up there. That's just, oh, lovely. just for the podcast listeners there. There we go. There we go. There <laughs> um, go. But yes, we're, we're back on Thursday. So like the video and um, subscribe and we'll see you again on Thursday. We'll do a backstage Q&A on Thursday as well. So have your questions mm-hmm. ready. Uh, and we look forward to that. We'll look at our teams then. We'll talk about the cap team more. We'll look at transfers. We'll look at the Black Box League and all the stuff we didn't do tonight. But um, that's it for now. And it's good night for me. Good night, everyone. Thanks for watching. Podcast Network.